0: Chapter 7B of the Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln by Francis Fisher Brown. Chapter 7B. An Evening with Lincoln in Chicago. Lincoln's tenderness to his relatives. Death of his father. A sensible adviser. Care of his stepmother. Tribute from her. On one occasion Lincoln visited Chicago as counsel in a case in the U.S. District Court. The Honorable N. B. Judd, an intimate friend, was also engaged upon the case, and took Mr. Lincoln home with him as a guest. The following account of this visit is given by Mrs. Judd in Oldroyd's Memorial Album. Mr. Judd had invited Mr. Lincoln to spend the evening at our pleasant home on the shore of Lake Michigan. After tea, and until quite late, we sat on the broad piazza, looking out upon as lovely a scene as that which has made the Bay of Naples so celebrated. A number of vessels were availing themselves of a fine breeze to leave the harbour, and the lake was studded with many a white sail. I remember that a flock of seagulls were flying along the beach, dipping their beaks and white-lined wings in the foam that capped the short waves as they fell upon the shore. Whilst we sat there, the great white moon appeared on the rim of the eastern horizon and slowly crept above the water, throwing a perfect flood of silver light upon the dancing waves. The stars shone with the soft light of a midsummer night, and the breaking of the low waves upon the shore added the charm of pleasant sound to the beauty of the night. Mr. Lincoln, whose home was far inland from the Great Lakes, seemed greatly impressed with the wondrous beauty of the scene and carried by its impressiveness away from all thought of jars and turmoil of earth in that mild pleasant voice attuned to harmony with his surroundings as was his wont when his soul was stirred by aught that was lovely or beautiful mr lincoln began to speak of the mystery which for ages enshrouded and shut out those distant worlds above us from our own of the poetry and beauty which was seen and felt by seers of old when they contemplated Orion and Arcturus as they wheeled seemingly around the earth in their nightly course, of the discoveries since the invention of the telescope which had thrown a flood of light and knowledge on what before was incomprehensible and mysterious, of the wonderful computations of scientists who had measured the miles of seemingly endless space which separated the planets in our solar system from our central sun, and our son from other sons, He speculated on the possibilities of knowledge which an increased power of the lens would give in the years to come. When the night air became too chilling to remain longer on the piazza, we went into the parlour. Seated on the sofa, his long limbs stretching across the carpet and his arms folded behind him, Mr. Lincoln went on to speak of other discoveries, of the inventions which had been made during the long cycles of time lying between the present and those early days when the sons of adam began to make use of material things about them and invent instruments of various kinds in brass and gold and silver he gave us a short but succinct account of all the inventions referred to in the old testament from the time when adam walked in the garden of eden until the bible record ended 600 b c i said mr lincoln i did not know you were such a bible student he replied I must be honest, Mrs. Judd, and tell you just how I came to know so much about these early inventions. He then went on to say that in discussing with some friend the relative age of the discovery and use of the precious metals, he went to the Bible to satisfy himself, and became so interested in his researches that he made memoranda of the different discoveries and inventions. Soon after he was invited to lecture before some literary society, I think in Bloomington. The interest he had felt in the study convinced him that the subject would interest others, and he therefore prepared and delivered his lecture on the age of different inventions. Of course, he added, I could not after that forget the order or time of such discoveries and inventions. In all the years that had passed since Lincoln left his father's humble house, he had had preserved an affectionate interest in the welfare of its various members. He paid them visits whenever he could find opportunity, and never failed to extend his aid and sympathy whenever needed. He had risen to success in his profession, was widely known throughout his section, and though still a poor man had good prospects and considerable influence. Yet he ever retained a considerate regard and remembrance for the poor and obscure relatives he had left plotting in the humble ways of life. He never assumed the slightest superiority to them. Whenever upon his circuit he found time, he always visited them. Countless times he was known to leave his companions at the village hotel, after a hard day's work in the courtroom, and spend the evening with these old friends and companions of his humbler days, on one occasion, when urged not to go, he replied, "Why Aunt's heart would be broken if I should leave town without calling upon her?" Yet he was obliged to walk several miles to make the call as his fortunes improved. He often sent money and presents to his father and stepmother, bought land for them and tried in every way to make them comfortable and happy the father was gratified at these marks of affection and felt great pride in the rising prosperity of his son mr herndon says that for years lincoln supported or helped to support his aged father and mother it is to his honor that he dearly loved his stepmother and it is equally true that she idolized her stepson he purchased a piece of property in coles county as a home for his father and mother and had it deeded in trust for their use and benefit. In 1851 Lincoln's father died, at the age of seventy-three. The following letter, written a few days before this event, reveals the affectionate solicitude of the son. Springfield, January 12, 1851 Dear Brother, On the day before yesterday I received a letter from Harriet, written at Greenup. She says she has just returned from your house, and that father is very low and will hardly recover. She also says that you have written me two letters, and that, although you do not expect me to come now, you wonder that I do not write. I received both your letters, and although I have not answered them, it is not because I have forgotten them, or not been interested about them, but because it appeared to me I could write nothing which could do any good. You already know I desire that neither father nor mother shall be in want of any comfort, either in health or sickness, while they live. And I feel sure you have not failed to use my name if necessary to procure a doctor or anything else for father in his present sickness. My business is such that I could hardly leave home now, if it were not, as it is that my wife is sick abed. I sincerely hope father may yet recover his health, but at all events, tell him to remember to call upon and confide in our great and good and merciful Maker, who will not turn away from him in any extremity. He notes the fall of a sparrow, and numbers the hairs of our heads, and he will not forget the dying man who put his trust in him. Say to him, that if we could meet now it is doubtful whether it would not be more painful than pleasant, but that if it be his lot to go now, he will soon have a joyous meeting with loved ones gone before and where the rest of us, through the help of God, hope ere long to join them. Write me again when you receive this—Affectionately, A. Lincoln. The step-brother, John Johnston, to whom the foregoing letter is addressed, was the cause of considerable anxiety to Lincoln. It was with him that their parents resided, and frequent were his appeals to Lincoln, to extricate him from some pecuniary strait into which he had fallen through his confirmed thriftlessness and improvidence. John Johnston, Mr. Herndon says, was an indolent and shiftless man, one who was born tired. Yet he was clever, generous, and hospitable. The following document affords a hint of Lincoln's kindly patience, as well as of his capacity for sound practical advice when it was much needed. Dear Johnston, Your request for eighty dollars I do not think it best to comply with now. At the various times, when I have helped you a little, you have said to me, "'We can get along very well now.' But in a very short time I find you in the same difficulty again. Now this can only happen by some defect in your conduct. What that defect is, I think I know. You are not lazy, and still you are an idler. I doubt whether, since I saw you, you have done a good whole day's work in any one day. You do not very much dislike to work, and still you do not work much, merely because it does not seem to you that you could get much for it. This habit of uselessly wasting time is the whole difficulty, and it is vastly important to you, and still more so to your children, that you should break the habit. It is more important to them because they have longer to live, and can keep out of an idle habit before they are in it easier than they can get out after they are in. You are now in need of some money, and what I propose is that you shall go to work, tooth and nail, for somebody who will give you money for it. Let father and your boys take charge of things at home, prepare for a crop, and make the crop, and you go to work for the best money-wages, or in discharge of any debt you owe that you can get. And to secure you a fair reward for your labour, I now promise you that, for every dollar you will between this and the first of next May, get for your own labour, either in money, or as your own indebtedness, I will then give you one other dollar. By this, if you hire yourself at ten dollars a month, from me you will get ten more, making twenty dollars a month for your work. In this I do not mean you shall go off to St. Louis, or the lead mines, or the gold mines in California, but I mean for you to go at it, for the best wages you can get, close to home, in Coles County. Now, if you will do this, you will soon be out of debt, and, what is better, you will have a habit that will keep you from getting in debt again. But if I should now clear you out of debt, next year you would be in just as deep as ever. You say you would almost give your place in heaven for seventy dollars or eighty dollars. Then you value your place in heaven very cheap, for I am sure you can, with the offer I make, get the seventy or eighty dollars for four or five months' work you say if i will furnish you the money you will deed me the land and if you don't pay the money back you will deliver possession nonsense if you can't now live with the land how will you then live without it you have always been kind to me and i do not mean to be unkind to you on the contrary if you will but follow my advice you will find it more than eighty times eighty dollars to you affectionately your brother a lincoln in other letters he wrote even more sharply to his thriftless stepbrother. shelbyville november fourth eighteen fifty one dear brother when i came into charleston day before yesterday i learned that you are anxious to sell the land where you live and move to missouri i have been thinking of this ever since and cannot but think such a notion is utterly foolish what can you do in missouri better than here is the land any richer Can you there, any more than here, raise corn and wheat and oats without work? Will anybody there, any more than here, do your work for you? If you intend to go to work, there is no better place than right where you are. If you do not intend to go to work, you cannot get along anywhere. Squirming and crawling about from place to place can do no good. You have raised no crop this year and what you really want is to sell the land, get the money, and spend it. Part with the land you have, and my life upon it you will never after own a spot big enough to bury you in. Half of what you will get for the land you will spend in moving to Missouri, and the other half you will eat and drink and wear out, and no foot of land will be bought. Now, I feel it is my duty to have no hand in such a piece of foolery. I feel that it is so even on your own account, and particularly on mother's account. The eastern forty acres I intend to keep for mother, while she lives. If you will not cultivate it, it will rent for enough to support her—at least it will rent for something. Her dower in the other two forties she can let you have, and no thanks to me. Now do not misunderstand this letter. I do not write it in any unkindness. I write it in order, if possible, to get you to face the truth which truth is you are destitute because you have idled away all your time your thousand pretenses for not getting along better are all nonsense they deceive nobody but yourself go to work is the only cure for your case sincerely yours a lincoln in still another letter he reveals his tender solicitude for his stepmother as well as his care for his stepbrother's unfortunate children Shelbyville, November ninth, 1851 Dear brother, when I wrote you before I had not received your letter. I still think as I did. But if the land can be sold so that I get three hundred dollars to put at interest for mother, I will not object, if she does not. But before I will make a deed, the money must be had, or secured beyond all doubt, at ten per cent. As to Abram, I do not want him on my own account, but I understand he wants to live with me, so that he can go to school, and get a fair start in the world, which I very much wish him to have. When I reach home, if I can make it convenient, I will take him, provided there is no mistake between us as to the object and terms of my taking him." In haste as ever, A. Lincoln. In speaking of Lincoln's regard for his stepmother, is interesting also to learn her opinion of him. A gentleman visiting the old lady after her son's death says, She is eighty-four years old, and quite feeble. She is a plain, unsophisticated old lady, with a frank, open countenance, a warm heart full of kindness toward others, and in many respects very much like the President. Abraham was evidently her idol. She speaks of him still as her good boy, and with much feeling said, He was always a good boy, and willing to do just what I wanted. He and his step-brother never quarrelled but once, and that, you know, is a great deal for step-brothers. I didn't want him elected president. I knowed they would kill him. She died in April, 1869, and was buried by the side of her husband, Thomas Lincoln. End of chapter 7b. Recording by Bill Borst.